My name is Peter Brady. For some time now, I've been engaged in highly secret experiments designed to bring about a great step forward in man's conquest of space and matter. Here in my lab, working night and day, I've been prying into the mysteries of the future. Only a few hours ago, I felt that there were secrets that would never be known to us here on Earth. And then, suddenly, in the midst of routine experiments, a strange and unpredicted event took place. Whether a mistake or the natural conclusion of the experiment, I cannot say. I can say that what happened is one of the most fantastic experiences in our modern day. Welcome to Trout and Worth Watching, where we're getting ready to welcome our second doctor to the show by delving into some of Patrick Troughton's pre-Doctor Who work. As an introduction to Troughton, today we're discussing Strange Partners, an episode he appeared in from the 1959 British series H.G. Wells' The Invisible Man. I'm your host, and my biggest goal in life is to outlive my co-host to keep him from stealing half this podcast. <laughs> Joining me is my co-host, Guy, who, for some reason, still believes that when he takes his clothes off, no one can see him, which is made for some strange parties. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I wanted, at some point uh, during this recording, I wanted to mention Ed Begley Jr.'s role in Amazon Women on the Moon, um, <laughs> where he does a, an invisible, invisible Man movie. You know, it's done in black and white, you know, very much in the style of the old old movies, but he thinks he's developed the potion that makes him invisible, but he isn't. So he's just running around a bar, bare-ass naked, and, you know, like he's picking up chess pieces, and you go, oh, look, a chess piece is floating in the air. <laughs> but he's obviously standing there doing it. <laughs> it's That's very entertaining. You, I don't know if it was on the podcast or whether you told me that that years ago, and I looked up the um, you know the clips on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, the Invisible Man. I had no idea this show existed. It was you know a British show in the late fifties. It only went like two seasons, so it didn't last too long. It's kind of it's hard when you search on Invisible Man. There's so many different movies and things that it's it's hard to find mm. the actual thing. I imagine it's public domain, so it's probably easy pickings. <laughs> and uh, well, you know, I had to find it in one of those shady places, so I don't, <laughs> I don't think I found it on YouTube. Maybe it was on YouTube. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, this show might not be mm -hmm. because they did their own interpretation, but the original H.G. Yeah, yeah. Wells. Good story. point. Yeah, this is one reason you see so many um, Sherlock Holmes movies and stories, right? Is that mm, that's yeah. the, that's one of the last characters before you know because of Disney they stopped uh, ever allowing copyrights to expire. And, right, and and you know it's a total digression, but it's a real harm to society. I mean, we should be able oh, yeah. to be telling stories about these other characters that have been developed, but you know. Because of the way the laws work now, they just are in perpetual. Yeah. Now, last I heard, there were more things coming into the public domain gradually. Like every year, somebody would release a list of the new stuff. But still, I think we're only up to somewhere in the 1920s. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of crazy. So this... Uh Interpretation of the Invisible Man was a little different than the book. You know, the the I'll probably just keep referring to him as the Invisible Man, but he's called Doctor Peter Brady, 
And, you know, he, he's a scientist who becomes invisible after a laboratory accident, which <laughs> later on would be the exact same story as the Hulk, right? So <laughs> where he became radioactive after the accident. And in this case, I think actually in Wells, you know, I don't remember. I, I think I read it as a kid and I remember some of the stuff that stood out to me that I can still remember, even though I don't remember very much about it, was I, I recall him describing the sort of disgusting look of the food digesting in his, uh, his uh. system. <laughs> so Wells was actually trying to be kind of realistic about it, right? What it would be like. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think also he pointed out, which most movies and stuff don't really, I think, communicate this, that it would be almost impossible to walk in a crowd or something, right? If people can't see you, um, <laughs> you're just going to be, you know, constantly smashing into people or they're going to be smashing into you or whatever because no one's going to oh, be yeah. accommodating you. <laughs> right. Yeah. And and I think um, somewhere early on in this, uh, one of the characters says, I don't remember exactly what he says, but it's something to the effect of, uh, oh, you're that famous invisible scientist or something <laughs> like that. And I, I, I did not realize that was part of the setting of this was that it was well known he was invisible. Right. You'd have to imagine that comes with its whole set of problems. And while well, this, this episode is an example of one. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> right. uh, so I think in the, in the novel, he was kind of a, you know, jerk who decided to use his invisibleness for, you know, to enrich himself or something. And mm -hmm. in the TV show, he's actually a hero who, you know, uses it to help people and help the government perform secret missions because that's what we need is the government <laughs> having invisible people <laughs> working <laughs> for them. Yeah. He does come across as a nice guy, at least in this yeah. episode. And 90% of the time, the way it works is that he's, his head is totally wrapped up in bandages. So you actually can see the outline of his face. Yeah. And he's got sunglasses, I think, so that you can't see the empty, <laughs> empty eyes. Yeah. That's a good eyes. point. I didn't think about that. And uh, although it's funny because you can tell with his face totally wrapped up, including the mouth, they couldn't record sound on the set. So all the sound is recorded. Ooh. If you, you know, look, is is clearly ADR'd, and I think it might not even be the same actor, I forget. Um, oh. Yeah, so, well, you know, so we start out with, and this is the last episode of the first season, right? So sort of their closer. We get these shots of him, like, going through the house invisible and getting in bed invisible and the, you know, the sheets and, and, and stuff moving on their own and, and the, you know lamp turning off and all that. So what what did you think of the uh, practical effects here? <laughs> uh, mostly pretty decent. I mm. mean, uh, nothing mind-blowing, but, uh, you know, they did a, overall they did a pretty good job, and you have certain things that uh, are clever, you know, like when, when he's pushing against some fabric like a curtain or something, and you'll see it sort of buckle inwards. Mm -hmm. uh, uh comes across good. There was... There was one little, little semi botch where uh, he's he's putting a key in an old wind up clock, and mm -hmm. the key mostly seems convincing as it's hovering towards the clock. But then right before it cuts away uh, to a shot of the key in the clock, uh, the key sort of suddenly veers to the right, like mm -hmm. it's on a string, and mm -hmm. it's suddenly just uh, you know wobbling around. Um, <laughs> so then you know it's. Not perfect, but in general, it's surprisingly good. So I, I agree. So right. some stuff like that. I mean, clearly, like, 
related to the key thing, one other one that really didn't work for me is he's picking up a phone. And it's clear, like probably the key was, the phone is basically a puppet, right? I mean, they basically have multiple strings attached to it and somebody's, you know, Mm -hmm. manipulating it. But it just didn't look good, right? Um, But on the other hand, like him getting into bed and all that, that was actually really well done. You know, the sheets moving and, and all that stuff. It looked very believable. Yeah, I think uh, I think overall it uh, it was wasn't bad in the invisible special effects department. <laughs> so, in a way, I mean, this movie is kicked off with a plot point about him being invisible, but then him being invisible doesn't really, or you know, him as a character isn't really very important in most of the story. <laughs> yeah, although it's not, I should I should correct you there. It's not a movie. It's a pretty short, like less than a half oh, hour yes, long, right. like about the length of a Doctor Who. Yeah, episode. it's almost exactly yes. And so there's a so we see someone break into his house and steal a briefcase, and it turns out. This briefcase contains all the notes he's been compiling for like five years to try and solve his invisibleness and, you know, figure out what happened or whatever. And he didn't make backups. Yeah, I don't know what the photocopier situation was at the time, but I think uh, (laughs) the photocopiers didn't really get popular until the 80s. Although, as I recall, it's a weird case where the technology of the photocopier actually existed for a long time. But I think they didn't know what to big do with businesses it. had them in the 50s. I'm not right. certain, but I think. Yeah, I think they just never quite figured out what to do with it. And then, like, in the 80s or something, it sort of exploded when they realized, you know, oh, we can copy all these, you know, documents and <laughs> all this stuff. Oh, so. yeah. Well, I remember when I was in elementary school in the 70s, they were still using mimeographs where you'd actually <laughs> physically <laughs> – type the stuff or draw the stuff onto paper and then they'd put it on a big drum that had mm-hmm. ink on it you know and it was yeah the whole it was a whole production that was like with the early <laughs> science fiction fanzines and stuff were that way right so you just have some guy all night you know rotating this drum and getting ink all over themselves to do you know 50 copies of their fanzine <laughs> about, <laughs> probably about doctor who or something <laughs> <laughs> Or the equivalent. <laughs> oh, yeah. They always use purple ink, too. Yeah. Some... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, taking me back to things that so many of our <laughs> listeners are just going to probably have no idea about. Um, <laughs> so, you know, his, so some, you know, bad guy steals his briefcase and, and uh, then he, and he's very upset, you know, and he, his wife and his daughter are there. And uh, he's, you know, about the impact of all this. He's going to lose all this. It's going to be almost impossible to recreate. And then he gets a, a surprising phone call. And there's this, well, who I'll call the businessman. He has some name, but he's just the businessman. <laughs> and he, this guy we'll find out is the half owner of a mine. And <laughs> he had his butler steal the invisible man's briefcase. And so then he calls him up and says, oh, I found it in my garden, you should come and pick it up. So the invisible man is, seems to be pretty naive. So, you know, he goes over to the guy's house and as soon as he's there, the guy, you know, reveals the whole thing and says, no, no, really, you know, my butler stole it. And I just needed you to be here because my half mine partner, business partner is about to show up and he's very 
sickly, but I've been waiting 15 years for him to die so I can have the whole mine and he keeps living. So (laughs) (laughs) it's time to put an end to that. And he has this, you know, actually not bad idea, right? As we said, this is the one thing in the whole episode where the, the existence of the invisible man is important, which is, he says, you know, I'm going to leave you in the room with my business partner. I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to be witnessed by his own bodyguard not being in the room. You yeah. punch him. Or he's not going to be near him, I, th- right. I think was what he was. was yeah. The idea. yeah. Then you punch him and he, because he's so sickly, you're punching him will give him a heart attack. And so he'll just have a natural heart attack and I'll get the other half of the mine and, you know. Everything will be good. Yeah, oh. he's supposed to punch him right in the chest. Uh, so, still, that's it's kind of dicey. Still, you know, <laughs> you can't rely on him being one punch man right. for the. Uh, but I, I like the idea of using the Invisible Man so you're so that you can be witness not committing the crime. Right? I, that's that's. Oh yeah, sure. That's yeah, it's it's a it's a clever basis for a plot, although I think this guy doesn't consider all the things that could go awry. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm gonna, you know, just, I mean, real-world business, just because his partner dies doesn't mean he gets to the other half of the mine. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he really only has his partner's, you know, gentleman's agreement. He probably doesn't have a contract that says in the event of one's death, the other one gets the whole shebang. <laughs> Which would also, uh, just, you know, advice to our listeners, always would be a bad contract to sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you don't want to do something that gives someone a perverse incentive to uh, hasten your death. (laughs) (laughs) So after he's explained this, um, the Invisible Man naturally tries to escape. But the problem is that the businessman has this dog. I forget what the breed is. but You know, it's a pretty serious, you know, German Shepherd-like thing. It's a a big one. It it might be some kind of uh, like a bull mastiff. It's it's a tough-looking dog anyway. And we nice get, you know, dog. pretty long sequence where he's trying to escape in different ways and the dog is catching him and biting him and, you know, it's so clear he's not going <laughs> to get out. Yeah, because the dog, even if it can't see him, it can still smell him. Yeah. So when the, you know, business partner arrives, this, well, I, I would ask if you, did you realize that this was Patrick Troughton? <laughs> no, I was looking for, I, you know, I, I've only seen pictures of Troughton and I was just looking for a guy with really dark eyebrows and this is a and this version is in a lot of makeup so yeah. that his eyebrows were lighter than the pictures he actually looks very different than his normal appearance so yeah 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 I did not I kept looking all through it like which guy is it and I <laughs> I was wondering if it might be his bodyguard that was another aspect of the plan was that the guy's bodyguard would be there so there would be someone who was one of his allies who could mm. even say, no, the guy didn't touch him. You know, he just, my boss keeled over. But, you know, and also, I mean, when Trout, when we see Trout and we see him first in the car on the way and he's really annoyed by why, you know, why are we having this meeting? Why is he having me come here? But he, because as we said, he's been sickly for years. So they just have him caked in makeup. I mean, he just looks like he's about yeah, to fall over. <laughs> You know what it kind of reminded me of, and maybe it's just because the Invisible Man uh, is here. It maybe it made me think of Mister Hyde. <laughs> you know, he's kind of got that semi-feral <laughs> yeah. look. Yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Could have been a sequel. 
Actually, could be a sequel, as we'll see. <laughs> uh, so when Patrick Troughton arrives, you know, the Invisible Man is supposed to do his job, but he manages to escape out a window. He has a, he has a good strategy here. He just basically, he's supposed to sit in the corner, invisible, as the businessman and his bodyguard are ushered into the study, you know, and just bide his time. What he does is at a certain point in the conversation, he basically just gets up and opens the door and walks out and shuts it behind him and, and then, you know, puts a puts a chair under it to secure it under the doorknob. And then he's escaped from this room once already and the dog tracked him down pretty quickly. But he's going to give it another shot and this time the bodyguard is on hand too. So the circumstances are a little different. Yeah. And... You know, so the bodyguard goes after him. Everything's kind of gone to hell. You know, Troughton is obviously upset about what's going on. So our original business guy decides that he's going to have to do this thing himself, and he punches Troughton. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He decides to hell with all that uh, staying blameless stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Troughton collapses and presumably dies. So basically where it ends up going is that – the invisible or the business guy and his butler need to escape, and because you know it's all screwed up now, and and the whole idea that you you know that he had an alibi and he didn't do it is gone. So he's like, okay, you and I are going to go to some other country, you know, and he's pulling some cash out of a safe. But his butler's like, well, I don't need to do this because I didn't do anything, so I can talk my way out of it. So you know, just give me your, the agreed part of my money, and you can go. And you know, has <laughs> anybody? If you've watched any TV show ever, you should realize what's, what's going to happen after this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this guy's getting screwed over. Yeah, so at first like, oh, okay, that sounds fine to me. Let's just get in the car. And then, you know, then he pulls a gun on him and tells him, no, that's not how this is going to go. And they're driving along, and, and he's – it's kind of funny because he oh what happens is the the butler manages to grab his gun and says okay stop the car you know this is over and he you know the other guy does a somewhat logical thing right he just drives the car really fast so that, mm-hmm. so they're going to crash if he gets shot and you know some pretty funny shots of them doing sped up oh, yeah. footage of the car and all that. yeah i i thought it was pretty good i mean it convincingly made it seem like the guy was going dangerously fast yeah. so uh, it, worked, it worked for me um but this part didn't work at all right which is suddenly the key is taken out of the ignition Ah, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure cars work that way. Well, even if know. that aside, some so the two, you know, the the butler and the business guy are in the front seat in this, you know, what was at the time was a regular car. Probably now would be a very small car, right? They're very so there's no space there. Somehow the invisible man is like in the back seat, reaching over them, <laughs> grabbing <laughs> the key and pulling it out. It's like I don't know how. He's doing that. And, you know, so then uh, the business guy thinks his butler pulled out the key and the butler's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And, you know, then uh, the invisible man grabs the gun and reveals that he's there and makes them drive back to the house. And uh, the invisible man had called the cops before he left, you know, and got in the car and, and was with them. So he makes them drive back. The cops are there. They arrest the butler and the businessman. And then... <laughs> Um, 
uh, the Invisible Man takes his briefcase off a table and and when an inspector there is is you know concerned about this, he's like, "Well, I gave you what you wanted. Now I'm taking what I wanted." And then the briefcase walks out the door. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I thought was kind of nice is that uh, at the end of the episode, the dog who no longer has a master, the Invisible Man opens the passenger door for it and tells it to get in. So now he's got a nice new dog and the. The dog probably has a much nicer master than he did. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't mentioned also. I mean, the the business guy was, you know, told the dog, "You're, I'm abandoning you now." So, you know, and he seemed to understand. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> he was no longer obligated to bite the invisible man. So that was convenient. <laughs> um, and that's the the end of the episode and the end of the season. And we got Patrick Troughton for you know about. Two minutes. <laughs> yeah, we didn't really get a lot of impression of his acting chops. We both mostly, I mean, you know, he was he was an impatient, sickly, cranky man. That's about that's oh. about as much as he could convey. I did forget though that he he, he gets reincarnated at the end, right? We assume he's dead, but then the cops explain that oh no, one of our you know deputies you know it reinvigorated uh. or whatever. Yeah, gave him. He calls it, I think, artificial respiration. Yeah, which I, I, I don't. I could be wrong, but I don't know if CPR was around yet at this mm, time. Yeah, it's possible. Um, so, uh, but then I know they used to just drape people over horses. Like if they drowned, you know, they'd throw somebody over a horse and <laughs> trot it around for a while, and sometimes it would work. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know about that. So so magically, Patrick Trouton is back, and he, in fact, now is probably going to have the whole mine, and and he's insistent on, you know, he's not going to die before <laughs> the business guy. So, <laughs> so Trouton was, um, you know, he was a very respected actor, um, a little unusual for a British actor in that, you know, the especially in the 50s and 60s when television was relatively new and low class, you know, Real acting was the stage, right? And we talked about that a bit with um, Hartnell. He's, you know, I'm a legitimate actor. uh, Drama documentary. He specifically mentioned that he wasn't that interested in television because he was a real actor. Yeah. And uh, the funny thing is that Troughton hated doing the stage. He called it shouting at night. And he'd rather be off at night doing other stuff, which we'll <laughs> talk about in a bit. So he mm-hmm. loved doing this TV stuff because um, it was relatively easy work and, you know, he'd get paid and he really needed money for reasons we'll get into in a moment. <laughs> so, All right. um, but he wasn't respected. He was in um, some movies, some of which we're going to watch eventually. He was in The Omen. So I haven't, I might have seen that was a, when I was a kid. But I wouldn't remember him. Um, really? Yeah, I uh, I don't know that I've ever seen the movie. I think I read the novel yeah, many well, years ago, to, but I've never actually saw the movie. Uh, we should absolutely consider that as one of our you know season enders. He's in Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. Um, he's in Jason and the Argonauts, which is definitely going to be one of our movies because in researching for this a long, long time ago and watching that, that movie actually has had a significant impact on my life uh, and stuff that yeah, we're doing. So. I know you've. Uh, what was the guy's, was it Ray Harryhausen yeah. who did the stop motion for yeah, that? And I think you've mentioned him favorably. So literally times. when we started, because I've always, I go insane and I, and I do 
you know, get ridiculously focused. So when we started this podcast, you know, two years ago, I'm like, well, Patrick Trouton's coming up. I better find some movies for us to watch and everything. And, you know, I watched Jason and the Argonauts and I knew about Harryhausen. I'd seen some of this stuff before, but not as a adult, really, you know, not, not any time in the last couple of decades. And mm -hmm. I was immensely impressed. I mean, because you kind of start out thinking, oh, this, you know, 1950s stop motion, this is going to be really cheesy. And, and, and I remember some images from like Jason and the Argonauts with these skeletons and stuff. There's a famous skeleton fight. And some of it was like, well, that was probably. Right. That's, that's what I'm picturing from it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, when I was 10, that was cool, but probably that's cheesy. Well, when, when I watched it, it was amazing. I mean, his, his animation is incredible, especially even more so when you realize that, you know, he didn't have any of the tools that we have today. He, d he couldn't look at what he had done. Um, the mm. last frame or whatever, he just had to, intuitively move things and and yet his Ooh, animation boy. was really smooth and great and you know um both would do this and i'm hoping someday we do an anime uh you know stop motion uh, uh theme and, and we kind of go through the history of it because i'm really yeah. excited about it and as you know we're now doing some <laughs> projects in this space so it's really uh oh, yeah. wa watching this uh really impacted my life <laughs> so, yeah, well, if if stop motion isn't on the uh, themes list, uh, feel free to add it. I would be, <laughs> I'd be up for that. Okay. Uh, so uh, he was also in Richard the Third with Olivia in, in 1955. This is a film I've always wanted to watch, and I haven't yet. And so I feel like maybe we should put it on the list. We are planning to do some Shakespeare related to uh, Kurosawa. Um, now he didn't remake Richard the Third. Um, there is a great, like, 1985, 86, or... Uh, oh, is that the one with all the fascist uh, 20th yeah, century? Yeah, Ian McKellen. I saw that in the theater, actually, and I uh, I enjoyed it. I, I couldn't understand all the dialogue, but I, yeah. I enjoyed it. Just it's a really good yeah, one. And uh, So this Richard III is interesting because it was done, I believe, during World War II, so it was in part kind of a propaganda film to make people feel good stuff about stuff, and Lawrence Olivier, I believe, directed it as well. Anyway, so one of these days, maybe we'll get there. It's, it's one I've always wanted to get around to watching. Yeah. And I, I, I haven't seen, you know, Lawrence Olivier is one of those names that they always haul out as the example right. of a great actor, and I, I couldn't tell you i think maybe he was in lawrence of her no he wasn't in no, lawrence of her no he wasn't no. he was just another lawrence you know who uh, was in that though uh was uh, um, uh i don't know uh, obi-wan kenobi <laughs> oh alec guinness <laughs> yeah was. yeah uh, now was he in bridge of the river over yeah. the river Kwai? yeah okay okay um and uh yeah well we'll get you know we're gonna for reasons upcoming, we're going to cover Star Wars, and I'll probably talk about some of that. Like he, he, he really didn't like Star Wars. He made a lot of money from it, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, like one time, this he was signing stuff somewhere, and this kid, you know, guy comes up to him and says, "Oh my God, I've seen Star Wars like two hundred times," and he said, "Promise me you'll never watch it one more time." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he just he just thought it was schlock, um, but uh, yeah. Well, you know he 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 wasn't entirely wrong, but uh, it was fun schlock, <laughs> you know. And... Right. 
You know, that's an interesting thing about Laurence Olivier because the way people thought about De Niro, you know, especially a couple decades ago, right? Uh, I mean, De Niro now, I mean, he's done a mixed bag of stuff and, you know, but it used to be that everything De Niro was in, he was great, right? And mm-hmm. then he was sort of the actor. Sort of like, uh, what's the name in the Dingo one? Um, uh, was it Meryl Streep? Yeah. No, Meryl no, Streep. No, yeah, Meryl Streep, oh, same thing, great. right? You know, like, oh, she's the actress, right? Like, I mean, you know, the... And, right. And, right. and Laurence Olivier was that for a long time, but then I don't think many people could think of a film he was in. I mean, I don't, I don't think that, you know, I mean, uh, now I... Uh, okay, probably Marathon Man. Did you ever see that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's been a while, but I, was he the dentist? Yep, yep. He was the oh, evil Nazi okay. dentist. <laughs> Is it safe? <laughs> so, so I'm not. So it's not fair to say that he's his work had been forgotten. But you know, most people wouldn't be. They might even like it. You know, they might know the role, but they wouldn't know that it was him, right? Yeah. Now, I I was kind of hinting at some interesting things about Troughton's life. So he uh, he just has this weird personal history. So first he marries this woman, Margaret, has two kids with her. At the same time, he's having a long-term relationship with another woman. And he has three kids with her. So <laughs> then he and Margaret divorce, and he marries Margaret's sister. <laughs> and has another couple children, but uh, and then is continuing his relationship with the, the other woman. So he had two families, and, you know, he managed to uh, seemingly avoid scandal about this. You know, Britain was a very, you know, they like their scandals and, and all this. And, mm-hmm. and he had a long career, <laughs> but a lot of his choices – we're just based on the fact that he had to pay for two families. <laughs> so he oh, just, sure. He needed paychecks. <laughs> Always right. Huh. Well, I guess, uh, you know, if he, if he likes being around people, that's uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also, person. I think just aside from having two families, which every once in a while we find out someone has that, right? The fact that he divorced a woman and married her sister. Well, wow, that's one you don't pull off too. Do you remember? There oh, was, yeah. This great that could be why he divorced the wife too. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. There's a great Seinfeld episode where Seinfeld is dating this one woman, but he meets her roommate and he really wants to date her roommate. And yeah. you know, and George is like, "It's never happened in history. The roommate switch has never been done." <laughs> and they come up with this whole plan where <laughs> the idea is he says that he'll suggest to his the person he's dating that they have a threesome. She'll mm. be offended by this and she'll break up with him, which will then allow him to date the other girl, right? But, of course, nah. what happens when he does this is she's like, that sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of guys would be perfectly happy with that, too. <laughs> yeah well, and Seinfeld's like I can't do you know I can't do that I'll have to get beaded curtains and, and wear robes and <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't I haven't looked into this deeply but apparently the families were aware of this and sort of accepted it I'm sure there was some trouble in there his son uh, David Troughton one of you know one of the many kids he had um is an actor and who has been in Doctor Who since then and other things and is 
is known in in Britain. So, um, so this, you know, so I'm, I'm guessing Troughton isn't with us any longer. Here, yeah, so. no, he he died actually while he was attending a science fiction convention in Georgia, oh. and uh, like in '87, I think. So, uh. but unlike one or two actors, he who played Doctor Who, he he didn't have issues with showing up again in the future or that sort of thing. You know, he didn't he he didn't feel precious about it. Oh yeah. Well, that's good. You know, if you got a good thing going, you may as well milk it. Right. He did decide. I mean, obviously, we'll talk about it as we go through it. I mean, after three seasons, um, he was exhausted because they were just doing so many episodes, and it was killing him. And that's that's why he quit. And ironically, he, most of them don't exist in videos. Yeah, that really sucks. <laughs> but at least we have a lot of animation now. Yep. Yeah. And so we. Oh. I have a, one of those trick questions for you. I didn't set you up for it. Uh-oh. So one person in this story became, I think it was about 10 years later, a companion to Patrick Troughton in Doctor Who. Can you guess hmm. which character in this story would have become the companion? Well, Based on his family uh, situation, he <laughs> seems to like kids. So I'm going to guess it was the little girl. Oh, good guess. I, I threw in a mention of her, but we didn't, you know, she's in this for like 30 seconds. So I was hoping you'd forgotten about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's, so there's literally, I don't know, she's like seven, eight or something in this, right? And her name's Deborah Watling. And like 10 years later, when Troughton becomes Doctor Who, she's, you know, like 18 or something. So she's the appropriate. Aged, as they said, uh, you know, they needed the the woman who was going to get the the dads out of the sh- out of the shed to, <laughs> to watch ah, Doctor Who. Right? So, ah, she's the uh, she's the sex appeal yeah. of the show. <laughs> of okay. course, uh, inappropriate to say that in the context of uh, what we just watched. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, she's got some growing up to do at this point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so we'll start exploring that in our next episode, which we're really truly going to record next week, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we will record our next episode next week. Yeah. But, uh, Basically, mo- for us, months from now, we'll get back to this. But uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and that will be Patrick Troughton in the Power of the Daleks. All right. Good God, man! What happened? I've done it, Trent. At long last, I've done it. I finally duplicated my father's formula for invisibility. After five years of injecting myself with every chemical known to man. But Griffin, the invisibility formula turned your father into a raving lunatic. That's right, top the old man. I've been on the stuff for over a week now, and I'm still perfectly sane. <laughs> yes, I'll rule the world with my secret. Yes, and I'll need you, Tent. I must have a visible partner. <laughs> Tell by your stunned expression that you're pretty impressed. <laughs> hey! Here comes the invisible man again. Oh, my, now, how did that happen? Must be a ghost in here. 